Hey, we're back for season five of Classic Movies Live. This is going to be our fifth year, actually. I think we, we talk about it very briefly at the beginning. We haven't necessarily split up every season by year, but it just so happens that uh, this is pretty much our fifth anniversary. So that is very, very cool. But anyway, welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live. As we have done every year for the last couple of years, we want to talk about all the Best Picture nominees before the Oscars come out. And it just so happens that if we put out our weekly episodes, we have six weeks left to the Oscars and six movies left to cover. So we're going to get right on that. We're going to start right out the gate with a movie we've already talked about a little bit, but we've never really gone very deep into. But um, we're going to do that today. Today we're going to start by talking about the Oscar nominations a little bit. And then we're going to talk about The Holdovers. The Holdovers, which is nominated for Best Picture, obviously. That's why we're talking about it. It is also nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Paul Giamatti and Best Supporting Actress for Divine Joy Randolph, Best Original Screenplay for David Hemmingson, and Best Film Editing for Kevin Trent. Uh, no, Kevin Tent. Excuse me. I think I may have called him Kevin Trent, too, so I apologize, Kevin, if you're listening to this. I did not intend to mess up your name, and I will not do that anymore. We both really like this movie. The last time we talked about it was in our Best of 2023 episode, and it was the last movie that Pierre talked about, which means it was the his number one on that list, which means it was in his top ten. I'm going to say that much. Uh, this is a movie that we both really liked. I saw it a few times, and Pierre saw it last year as well. So I guess I will say uh, it has been a few days. It's been a couple of days since we've seen this, so memories may be a little fuzzy, but I think we had a good conversation about it, and I am excited for you all to hear what we have to say about The Holdovers. This is really a very special movie, so... I hope that everyone will also go and see it. Like, I don't think this movie is too, too spoilery. We have a little bit of spoilers and we don't do a spoiler warning, but I would recommend you go see it anyway. If you have not yet seen it, you can listen to our episode and honestly, you won't have too, too much spoiled for you. So I think that's all I have to say in this intro. So what I want to do now is I want to turn this over to Damien Gerardo with the song Silver Joy which plays during uh, a big part of the opening of The Holdovers. So that's what you're going to hear now. Let me sleep in the slumber of the morning There's nowhere I need to be And my dreams are still our calling Lay your troubles on the ground No need to worry about them now Daylight shaking through the trees Do not disturb me let me be. Welcome back, 
back to yet another year of Classic Movies Live. We're on uh we're on season 5 now. Season sure. 4 just ended with like like a full year. I think this is about the time that we started season 4 last year. So like kind of we're we're sort of moving into the direction of each season is a year instead of like season 3 that was 2 years, season 1 that was just however long it took until COVID happened. You know, now we're sort of we're sort of leaning into something that's a little more regular. So we're on season five. How does it feel to have been on a show for almost five years, Pierre? I can't believe it. Yeah, it's five been years. A while. That's that's <laughs> that's like half an Avatar uh, production cycle. <laughs> oh my god! And like I said, like I, like I say every time we talk about Avatar, which so far is twice. We will talk about every Avatar movie on this show, so stay tuned. Here's to, I guess, 25 more years. <laughs> oh, jeez. What have I done? <laughs> so it has been a bit since since we were last live. Uh, I think we pretty much, pretty much took off all of January. How's your January been, Pierre? Um, it's been okay. I've been... Uh... I've been pretty busy with I've I've started auditioning for roles, which has been very fun. Um, Just for student films and short films and stuff. Um, It is very exhausting and uh, not very fun. So I don't envy artists, or I mean, I don't envy actors. But it's cool. I I like uh, I know I, I like being part of the making of movies as well as talking about them. So it's been really cool. Um, What about you, Jeff? Uh, I have been teaching at new colleges and it has been pretty exhausting, but for different reasons, I don't want to get too, too much into it because I don't know who listens to these. So (laughs) I don't, I don't necessarily want my employers to be listening to me complaining, but you know, normal work stuff, not anything, not anything especially bad. I was I was thinking, I was kind of thinking this. I was like, part of me was like, Oh, maybe we could review the movies I'm in in the future. And I was like, Oh, well. I don't know if that's the best idea. I mean, I will say I'd be very interested in doing that, but we'll judge on an individual basis whether that's a good idea or not, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I uh, I took on way more classes than I should have, and all of these classes are ones that I do not already have existing notes for. Like, these are classes that I have that I am teaching mostly for the first time. So it's uh, teaching a class for the first time is the hardest time to teach it. Second time, second time it's easy. First time, first time it sucks. Yeah. So very exhausting. I don't. I've but, never taught a class, but I will assume I understand what you're talking about. No, I do. I it's, do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's what, probably. Oh, you set ahead. the foundation. It's uh, it should be easier going forward unless there's huge changes in your field. I guess. Yeah, I mean, anytime. Uh, Anytime you can get into a routine, then then you're you're golden. But like you yeah. can't get into a routine when you're teaching something for the first time just yet. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of uh, speaking of neither of those things, I guess uh, <laughs> the Oscar nominations just happened shortly before this. I think it was um, as of this recording. Was it last Tuesday? I they believe so. Yeah, the Oscar nominations happened. What did you think? What did you think? There's 53 nominees in total. And yeah. um, 
did you uh I, I know you haven't seen all 53 but what did you think of the ones that you have not of the movies that you have seen but of the nominations that you've seen I mean I I don't know I, I feel like I've kind of disassociated from the Oscars a couple of years ago so I'm not too emotionally invested in it I was I, I will say I'm surprised Leo didn't get a nomination I wouldn't say I'm mad or anything but because I I get I I don't believe that was, you know, one of his better performances. I, I think, geez, I, it was amazing in it. I, I wouldn't say compared to his previous, you know, filmography that this, this was a role that I'm like, he has to win for this, you know. And same, there's a lot of talk about, um, is it Barbie Gate? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Margaret uh, Robbie not getting nominated. I, I feel, I think the whole Barbie, I like, listen, I I think it's just, uh, and I'm in awe that Barbie was nominated as much as it was. Um, I do think it's a little weird that America Ferreira got nominated, but I also understand it because she had that very intense monologue, which feels like it's literally tailor made for an Oscars. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like when, when they go to the Academy, they present them with like the packet or like clips yeah. of this actor, right? Margot doesn't really have a moment in Barbie where you know, she's a great actor, but, like, I can't think... When I watch Barbie, I'm like, I don't know what that moment is. America mm-hmm. Ferreira is, like... I don't even remember her character, to be honest, like, a lot but of her I, scenes. But I remember that. I remember that moment. Yeah. You know? So it's, like, you know, I, I think... Um, as a as a connoisseur of understanding how the Oscars voting works, of course, <laughs> I, I was not too confused about the some of the nominees. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I think... Overall, it doesn't even matter because Oppenheimer is probably going to sweep most of everything. It's got all the hype right now, especially after the Golden Globes. Um, I think everyone's just kind of fighting for scraps at this point, <laughs> including Paul Giamatti, who I genuinely believe I think he should win Best Actor. Is he gonna? I, I don't know, but I, th- I think he has a decent shot. Mm-hmm. I guess I just want to say with Barbie, I mean, first off, with Barbie, my my most important nomination for Barbie was, uh, I was I was rooting for Ryan Gosling, and I was rooting for I'm Just Ken, and they both got in, so, like, I'm happy about that. But also, it's weird to talk about Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig not being nominated, because Margot Robbie was nominated for producer, and, like, the thing that she oh. is, <laughs> every time that she's talked about Barbie, she's talked about how she like helped to get the movie made, which is what a producer mm. does. So she was nominated that, for the yeah. part that she's proud about. So like, mm. that's cool. And then cool, Greta yeah. Gerwig, Greta Gerwig could have been nominated for director. I wouldn't have been mad to see her there, but she was nominated for screenplay. So it's like, she still got nominated. She could still walk away with that. And actually Greta Gerwig might take a screenplay nominate, like might actually walk away with a screenplay Oscar from this movie. Yeah. With her so, husband Noah Baumbach, or are they married? Yeah, they oh, just okay. got married last year. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I actually, well, okay. I'm not the biggest fan of Barbie. I, I do think the directing was stronger than the screenwriting, though. So I'm kind of surprised that she got nominated for screenwriting. But actually, like in retrospect, I, I do think the direction was very well done. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm kind of surprised about the screenplay. But I guess I, there's like. Technic- is it is it for adapted? Is it technically an adapted? It is adapted. <laughs> yeah. So, oh god. Anyways, yeah, I could see it's especially for an adapted screenplay. I could see why they might have picked her. I don't know. 
I will say in director, though, like, I know that... Uh, so I know you've seen three of the movies that were nominated for Best Director. You've seen Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. I don't think you've seen The Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall. I would say that those are five of, by far, the best directed movies this year. So, like, sure. if I were to... Like, I would not have been mad to see Greta Gerwig there, but there is no one that I would replace for Greta Gerwig. She is a very good director. She did a great job with Barbie. If we're talking just five nominations, these are some of the these are probably the best nominations they could have made, in my opinion, for director. Yeah, I I I don't I mean we'll see once I watch the movies, but of the three I've seen, you can definitely see why they were nominated and mm-hmm. um yeah. But I, I again I think Christopher Nolan's gonna take I I, de- I generally think he deserves it too. Like this feels more I, I feel like if you wanted it feel to me at least more of a legacy thing where you know, he's, he's had such an impact and this feels like the great, like finally it's all paying off, even though it's obviously all paid off before, but I mean, uh, I can, uh, awards wise, you know? Yeah. And I gotta say like of all of Christopher Nolan's movies, I know he hasn't won an, uh, he hasn't won an award yet or an Academy award yet, but of all of his movies, if he was going to win a directing award, I would be very happy for it to be for Oppenheimer. Like for sure, yeah. this not only feels like it would be a legacy award, but it also feels like, at least in my opinion, of all the movies that he's made, this would be the one that he'd be most deserving for. So that I... said, <laughs> my personal pick for best director is Jonathan Glazer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're essentially saying Nolan never deserves an Oscar. Take I mean, that, if you Nolan. choose to interpret it that way, go for it. <laughs> No, I think Nolan is going to probably... I, I think Nolan is, like, the front runner here easily. And, like, I would not be sad to see Nolan take an award for this one. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, I guess, like, just going real quick through these, uh, two, two nominations I was very happy about. I won't dwell too much on this because I want to get into some other stuff later. But... Uh, Two nominations I'm very happy about. Robot Dreams in Best Animated Feature. I saw this one at a festival, and like, it is probably, in my opinion, the best movie that's nominated for an Academy Award this year. Just Dang. period. So like, I am very happy to see that in Animated Feature. I think it's got an uphill battle to win, but if it could win Best Animated Feature, that would be incredible. And then Godzilla yeah. for Best VFX, which is awesome. Yeah, that. That is that the Godzilla one actually surprised me. Um, I because uh, well actually I I feel like do you think the the Academy probably factors in like budget right? In, Maybe like, I think with pulls. VFX it's it's usually like I I'm pretty sure with VFX they submit like a reel as well. <clears throat> oh okay, because uh, like I, I wouldn't say like Godzilla minus like had like the greatest CGI I've ever seen, but I'd say for the budget, hell, like yes. <laughs> Like, it is considerably the best for the budget that I've seen, I think. Well, like, considering the budget, it looks as... It looks as good as a lot of the more... It looks, like, better than movies that are five times its budget. Like, it maybe didn't have the best CG, but it had some of the best CG of last year, regardless. And then for its budget as well, it's like... It's like a no What even... Yeah. What is it yeah. up against? Is it up against Guardians of the Galaxy? Because it should be. Guardians of the Galaxy should be there. Okay, it is. Guardians was pretty good. I can't... Uh, what else? <laughs> There's a lot of... They should have a, an award for worst movie effects because there was a lot of that this year. 
<laughs> I saw a movie called Bad CGI Gator, and like, that's uh, I was a little sad to not see it at the Razzies because you know, classic classic Razzie L. They don't even recognize the cool stuff. <laughs> I feel like it's probably because they were trying to be bad, or maybe the Razzies. That, I don't know. The Razzies want publicity too. But the Razzies are so thirsty for publicity. Like, yeah. if anyone from the Razzies wants to come on our show, please do. I'm going to just yell at you for three hours. It'll be fun. Damn. Well, now we'll I, I don't think they're going to come on anymore, Jeff. <laughs> that's that's fine. They're cowards. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, this category is pretty intense. Like, Napoleon had very good special like visual effects and the creator, so... I don't know. That's actually going to be a tough category. I'm interested. This That's probably one of the ones I'm most interested in, if I'm going to be honest. Best VFX? Honestly, I think I'm a little. I'm pretty interested in it because every weirdly enough, best VFX might be okay. It's not the only category, but it's one of very few categories where we've actually talked about every movie in this category in an episode. Oh yeah, let's go. I see. I'm already ahead of the. For once, I'm ahead of the curve. I think that like I, I don't I don't know if you'll have the time to finish the entire death race this year, but no. <laughs> I think that you're much further than you normally are at this point. Probably, yeah. I've, I've, I think without school, I've had more time in my general life to casually go about it. Whereas when I was in school, it'd be like, oh, I got a month left. I gotta I gotta watch all these movies that I haven't seen. And also, like this isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, but there are very, there aren't that many weird choices or like out there choices in the Oscars this yeah. year. A lot of them are like the big ones that people kind of could have seen coming, and yeah. that were big movies too. Well, anyway, today we want to start talking about all the best picture movies because we've done that every year for at least the last three years, and. Uh, by gum, we're going to do it again. We've got six weeks. <laughs> We've got six movies we haven't talked about. It The stars have aligned perfectly, sort yeah. of. So sure. it's time. We're going to get we're gonna get started on our best pictures. And the first one we're going to talk about is one that we did briefly talk about, but we didn't put a whole episode towards it. So this is kind of like the warm-up episode. Mm. Uh, we want to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about the holdovers today. And Pierre, I remember you saying this was uh, one of your, when we talked about it, when we did our year in review episode, this was one of your favorite movies of last year, or at least it's one of the ones you talked about, which means it was (laughs) one of your favorite that we had not already talked about. Yeah, which wasn't a high bar, admittedly, (laughs) but uh, yeah, no, it it genuinely was one of my favorite movies last year. Um, Yeah, I don't had a great time. So, uh... What is this movie about, Pierre? What is the whole movie? Damn. What is the holdovers about? Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. Uh, it's so it's about uh, a young a young man by the name of uh, Angus Tully who is supposed to go home for Christmas. He's at a boarding school in I don't know Britain. It's like a famous. Is it? They're in a, they're in London, right? No, they're in, in America. Boston. Boston. <laughs> they're in Massachusetts. It's been a while. People. It's been a while. Uh, and, uh, he wants to go home and, uh, at the last second, his mom is like, I want to go on a honeymoon with your new stepfather. (laughs) So you are going to stay at school. And obviously that made him very sad. And, uh, yeah. So then he's held back uh, over Christmas break with four other, 
boys at the school and uh, Paul Giamatti, who plays uh, Paul Hunnam. Mr. Hunnam is is kind of supervising them in, in the meantime because all the other teachers have gone home too. And uh, yeah, and then Mary Lamb, whose uh, son recently passed away, is also there and cooks for them. And you kind of see, a, it's like a Christmas themed, oh, it's, it's like a family themed Chris, Christmas movie about finding um, family, finding a family instead of the family that rejected you, that you were born with, I guess. Specifically, his mom. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the stepdad isn't that bad. Oh, well, he probably is, but I don't know. Anyways, yeah. It's very it's simple. kind of like, it's, it is. It's really just like bonding between these three people who just happen to sort of be in the same place over Christmas. Like, they're all kind of hard to be around in their own ways, but over the course of the movie, they get, uh, they, they grow, they grow together. Yeah. It's, it's like the breakfast club, but like more wholesome and less yeah. like kind of freaky. I don't know. <laughs> the breakfast club was weird. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I didn't love In my it, opinion, but I don't know. A pro- product of its time. But speaking of products yeah. of its time, this was a movie from 2023, but it is, it goes so far out of its way to look like a movie from the seventies and it also like didn't need to be, which I think is such a weird and interesting choice. I really respect it. Like there's there's a few things in this movie that definitely date it to the 70s, but it's not really talking about issues in the 70s in any way that it couldn't just be a movie that takes place today, which is just such a strange choice. I don't think it's a bad choice. I just think it's really interesting. Yeah, I think we talked a bit about it um, in the year in review, I, I feel like uh, Alec, Alexander Payne's, um, this is a very personal story for him, perhaps. So, mm-hmm. and I think, I think we mathematically found out <laughs> that he was probably around the same age at, at that decade. So, there, or yeah. maybe it was the writer. I don't know. Maybe it was the writer too. Anyways. Yeah. It's, there's, um, there, there, I, I think it adds to the heart of it because, while it doesn't add anything to the audience, I think you can feel more passion behind it from the directing just because it seems like he's trying to capture a very specific chapter of his life. Yeah. And so it sort of feels like it feels like he's bringing in sort of his own nostalgia in a way. Like you said, I think it's cool because there really, yeah, like there really isn't any reason to have done it that way, and it'd probably be way cheaper to do it not that way. But um, they did it that way, so yeah, it's cool. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just um, I I think it's it's it, it'll go underrated. At the, I mean, it has gone underrated at the Oscars just because it's a very it's on, it's a very simple movie. You know, there's not much to it. It's kind of a slice of life type of movie um but but that's also why i think it sticks out more is that it like compared to everything else it just feels like it did it, it like it, i wouldn't say the holdovers is essentially a special movie but it does everything right and it does it mm-hmm. very very well um especially in respect to paul giamatti who i think really well paul giamatti and um in my at least sorry i, I don't i feel bad for I don't want to exclude Angus Tully, but 
I wouldn't say he made the movie for me. It was definitely, uh, was it Davine, Joy Randolph and Paul Giamatti both put in exceptional performances, um, especially for two actors that I feel like I've seen in a lot of things, but I've never really seen breakthrough at that level, you know? And it does, uh, and it's fitting you bring both of those, both of them up because they are the ones nominated for acting awards from this movie. I guess, did I say what what awards this is up for? Because I feel like I should do that and get that out of the way. Sure. So this movie, The Holdovers, is nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Paul Giamatti, Best Supporting Actress for Divine Joy Randolph, uh, Best Original Screenplay for David Hemmingson, and Best Film Editing for Kevin Trent. So now we've said that. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, like those two, they... Oh man, I, I feel bad for the the kid now. <laughs> no, because he I was mean, good. Dominic Sessa's good. I just I don't... Dominic Sessa is an incredible breakout talent. Considering this is his first movie, like he yeah. doesn't need his first movie to also give him an Oscar nomination. It's great that like it's he's people noticed him already. Like he, for sure. what a, what a great first performance. Yeah, I just I wouldn't say it was like magnetic to me. <laughs> I feel bad. he put in a great performance, but yeah, that obviously he's dealing with two very seasoned actors um, with lots of experience. So he's, I, I, they, they just, yeah, they, they bring their experience to the roles and uh, yeah, they, I mean, they have chemistry, great chemistry with each other. There's some very touching scenes. Um, and I love how I was kind of worried they would bring romance into it, but then I was also kind of like halfway through, I was like, you know what? I wouldn't even mind them, like, I wouldn't even mind a romance factor. Like, that's how much, I usually hate that. Like, it, it would have felt forced at first, but they just had so much, you know, chemistry and uh, their their bond, their slow bonding throughout the movie just felt so natural that, um, like, I, I could, like, the movie could have put them together. I would not have been mad in any way because it just, it felt so right. Even though mm-hmm. I, I'm still happy that they kept it the way they did. And, um, and it's just, it's like, and it doesn't really, I, I, I wouldn't say the movie tries to make any statement and it's like, I wouldn't say, uh, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of movies do this, but I feel like a lot of movies when they end, there's like a certain level of continuation with that like newfound family, if that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the end of this movie, it's, it's very much a, a period of two weeks. Like, I, I feel like the theme of it is it's a period of two weeks where these guys are lonely. They learn a lot of things about themselves and learning about that helps them move on from the shitty situations they were in, you know, um, which I, I really liked um, because of that, I feel like that's just very realistic too, you know? I think in a way, like, I'm thinking about this movie and as I'm thinking about all the different things in it, it feels very timeless, which I don't actually know if that's a, if that's fully a compliment because I think that might be some of its flaws as well. Like the, uh, the fact that it's those two weeks and then at the end, everyone moves on. It doesn't really give you the room to think about what comes next, which I do really like. I think that means that like, no one is watching this movie and going, we need a holdovers too. What's going on with Paul <laughs> Hunnam now? Like, yeah, it's, that is a, that is a strength of this movie that it just feels like one small contained week that doesn't necessarily have a continuation. And, um, 
But I think the detriment to all of that sort of, I think that another thing that makes it time that makes it feel timeless, but is kind of maybe to its detriment is this movie doesn't feel like it's saying anything specific in the way of like Barbie or Oppenheimer or something like that. And like, this movie is not a Barbie or an Oppenheimer and it wouldn't, I wouldn't want it to be, but this movie feels like it's making it's, it feels like the, the sort of the morals, the thing it's getting at is not, it's, it's a little weird. It's the thing that it's kind of the reason that it's so strange that it's in the seventies. It's talking about like found family and uh, issues with like abandonment issues with, with parents and uh, getting over loss and grief and romance And the way that it's talking about those is not specific to the 70s, nor is it specific to now, nor is it specific to any time. It's just very timeless. But at the same time, it's not not like it's really commenting on how things were done in a way at a time or how things are done now. Or like, it doesn't really have an answer. It's just like, hey, sometimes people feel like this, which is, you know, not a bad thing. It's just like very... I don't know. It feels like it's not, it feels, the movie feels like it's not really getting at anything, even though it kind of is. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get, well, exactly say, get across. It's, I'd say it kind of like with the, I, I think this, the themes maybe or the message is just maybe very subtle. You know, I think, I think you can look at things like, you know, obviously Paul Giamatti, uh, Mr. Hunnam, sorry, I should say Mr. Hunnam and, and Angus Tully, uh, are both very different people, right? And, um, you know, I, you could argue a theme of them bonding over the movie is just that, like, like um, you know, just because someone isn't family doesn't mean that, like, you, sh- you, can't, you can't feel, like, love for them, you know? Or, like, you know, people, some, like, Mr. Hunnam was obviously seemed very was very mean at the start of the movie. I mean, he's kind of, he's essentially like the Grinch, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's basically what it comes down to. And, you know, kind of the, it's a similar thing with the Grinch where, you know, you, you start asking him questions and you realize, Oh, he was actually a lot like me when he was younger. And he's just kind of this way because he's depressed and he kind of has this very uh, self loathing quality about him that comes out on his students, you know? And, you know, I think, I think it's subtle messaging. It's not very like, um uh epic or anything but it's still like it's still it's still there and uh but i I see what you mean where it's it's like the movie doesn't end and you're like you're like hey you know what like i'm gonna talk to this person that's a dick and get to know them (laughs) you know like you don't feel that but you just kind of feel the warmth of that theme yeah although Um, i don't know you saying that this is a this is a i should call my dad movie (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, I kind of. Or like, um, well, he, does he, no, he doesn't really confront his mom at the end, but I, I think, I think there's a, there's something to be said about, uh, like, like a quality of like looking out for each other. Like we're all people, you know, anyone can be your family. And I think that's kind of what the movie shows too, is that like, like these are two people that, uh, Angus did not care for a respect in any way, shape or form. And really all it took for him to get to, for them to, uh, you know, become a, almost a, a family in a sense for two weeks is 
them being alone together, you know? Um, like there's that moment at the end I thought was so sweet where uh, the, jeez, oh, I don't want to say the lunch lady. <laughs> I gotta remember these names. Mary Lamb. Mary Lamb is waiting outside with Angus to uh, see the results of the meeting between Mr. Hunnam and the Dean and Angus's parents. Right. And she like, and she just like, she holds his hand. And I thought that was just such a, a, a beautiful moment, you know, where it's like, but she's just like, I'm like, <laughs> like your real family's in there, but, and it, it didn't feel like I'm your mom now or anything. It was just like, I'm here, I'm here for you. And that's all that was, you know, but I think that's like, it's those little moments like that in the movie that just kind of build that really make you fall in love with the characters and the story, you know, or is even like that ending conversation between Mr. Hunnam and, and Angus, where it's like, like part of me wanted them to like hug, you know, and like, be like, be like, you're the dad I never had. <laughs> like that, like it's a really corny shit, but it's like, I think it works because they just kind of have this really weird, awkward handshake. And and he just kind of runs off. And it was just like, that's not the ending I wanted, but it also made so much sense because it's like, just because they went through a lot together, these are two characters that are still very emotionally um, damaged, you know? <laughs> and I don't think they properly know how to express their emotions to each other. So a handshake in that sense was like, literally like a huge leap for them in like a perfect gesture. But it's subtle too, you know, and that's the whole movie. It's it's subtle. It's these subtle moments that kind of build to the theme. I wonder if David Hemmingson or Alexander Payne did go to a boarding school because, uh, I mean, I did. And that's what relationships are like in a boarding school. Like you get close to your professors and the other people in the boarding school in that way. And it's not like the way that you're close to your mom or your dad because they are still, you know, your teacher's uh your, your your teachers or like uh the lunch lady or things like you still have that defined relationship but it feels very it feels very close in like a way that is hard to define like when you're thinking about it as a kid you wouldn't think of that as like oh i'm very close to them except you actually are it's just not that kind of way that you would think about that because when you're a kid you're like at least when i was a kid i was thinking of like close relationships in terms of like my parents or my actual like physical biological family where, but no, but the actual people that I was closer to would have been the people in my, uh, in my boarding school, like around me, but I don't think, but you wouldn't be thinking of those relationships in that same way. It's kind of, uh, I think this movie captures that really well. And I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not close enough anymore to how I was in a boarding in the boarding school. So like maybe I'm misremembering slightly but it felt very authentic to me because I'm like, oh, I have been in this situation, except that I wasn't there over Christmas. So not quite, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, yeah. And I think that's why, uh, you know, the it, like it, it works despite like it works just as well today, despite the time period. And I think it's it's also cool that this movie could work like completely in the future, too. You know, there's no you do not need any cultural context for the very simple very simple but complex human emotions that carry the screenplay um and that, that's you know that's to me that's amazing screenwriting you know um i don't was it nominated 
Yeah, it's nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Perfect. Yeah, so that's that's really good. I'm really happy for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good yeah, movie. I, I, yeah, within its... Oh, man, it's it's in a pretty stacked category, I gotta say. But yeah. it is very strong. It's, um... I don't know. I, 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 I do, I do kind of feel like Paul Giamatti actually has a chance. I, mm-hmm. uh, the Oscars, the one, like the Oscars, have surprised me before in in good ways. I guess. Um, I think that uh, I think Paul Giamatti. He's he's a he's an actor I've seen in so many things for like twenty years, and that's just as long as I've been watching movies. Like he's been in so many things even before that. Like. He's he's a guy that I'm a little bit surprised doesn't already have an Oscar. He's been around that long and that good in yeah. so many things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Deandre Randolph's going to be fine, though. Her, her category is... I think she's going to walk through that category. Like, it's not even... She's got Ameri- like America Ferreira, who I, people are just surprised she was even nominated, and Emily Blunt, who had, like, six scenes in Oppenheimer. <laughs> so, like... I don't know. I'm going to say I like everyone in the supporting actress category, but Divine Joy Randolph is by far the best in her category. Yeah, like it's not. I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen uh, what Daniel Brooks, Danielle Brooks or Jodie Foster, but. um, Danielle Brooks, I would say, is the best part of the color purple. And Jodie Foster is like the only good part of Nyad. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe I need to watch those movies before I make up my mind, because so far, from what I've seen, David Joy Randolph is going to walk away with this easily. Oh, yeah. Because I've seen her in TV. I don't know. I can't remember what I've seen her in. She's in Only Murders in the Building, Mm -hmm. but she has, like, a very, like, that. that is not much of an acting role, you know? It's just a very, like, that that show isn't, you know, excessively challenging for actors. (laughs) If that makes sense, and I saw her in The Idol, which I actually I did like her in. Um, she but was just like very good in The Idol, surprisingly. That's <laughs> that's a movie that had a, or that's a series that had a lot working against it. Yeah, well, I, I honestly wish they they made the show her and the other managers trying to deal with a crazy pop star. I thought that would have been way more fun and interesting, especially because you could tell there was like a clear difference in um, acting skill between certain actors in that show and others. So. <laughs> Yeah, anyways. It's a very kind way of saying it. <laughs> yeah. But it was just crazy to me, you know, seeing her in these two relatively minor roles to just this, like, outstanding, like, jaw-dropping performance, you know? It's, like, it's so, so... Uh, I mean, again, it's a simple character, but there's just so many layers to it. Like, she's she's funny. She's She stands up for the people she loves. There's some scenes where she's just crying and it's like it's not like that movie crying it's not like i don't know like toby mcguire crying <laughs> i don't know it's just like it's just really messy and awkward crying you know and i think that's that i to get to that point is like very tough for an actor i find from what i've seen so um yeah like she she bladed it all there and i think i believe she should be reaping the benefits of an oscar award very soon so I'm very mm-hmm. happy for her. Well, what did you I'd... think about like the plot itself? You know, like we talked a bit, I think we touched on it, like having you, it kind of, the movie kind of trick you with a potential breakfast club type movie. And then all the kids <laughs> get shipped off immediately. What do you think about that? 
I'm gonna be honest. I like the. I I I thought that of the kids, Dominic Sessa is easily the strongest anyway. And his relationship with Paul Hunnam and Mary Lamb is so much more interesting than any of the kids that like, I thought it was really funny that they just like all get in a helicopter and leave. But also I'm, I'm very happy that that happens because uh, like, I don't, I don't think I would actually be, I don't think this movie would be as good if it was all of the holdovers and just like a breakfast club type thing. I think that this movie really benefits from having the three strongest actors in the entire ensemble just be together for the whole time. Yeah, it keeps it focused. I, I guess the only... Like, I don't know if it's a good... Because it really surprised me. It was honestly like a huge plot twist to me that they literally got like do sex mocking it out of the script. Um, but like, I, it does focus it. I just I guess the first act, a lot of it is... Feels like it's spending time setting up plot points instead of setting up because like uh, Devine and Paul aren't really in the first act too too much. You know, we don't get too much establishment of their characters for the first 20, 30 minutes. We just, I think, we just know that her son died recently, and we know Mister Hunnam's just kind of a dick. Like that's all we kind of know. You know. And but I do we don't even get, like, like, I wasn't even sure who the main character was for a bit because, like, the movie doesn't really focus on, um, what, what's his name? Angus. It doesn't focus on Angus, Angus yeah. until, until everyone leaves, you know? But I do think that that first act, like, setting up what this environment is like, so what we kind of expect the students to be like, and then, um, you know just portraying Paul Hunnam as a dick and Angus as one of the kids. I think even though it's doing that, it does sort of, it does sort of establish those characters in important ways. Like it gets much more explicit once they're just the three of them together. But even just while they've got that, while they've got that community, I think that um, helps to sort of establish who these people are outside of the singular relationships we end up seeing later on, which is also important because like later on, I think later on there's a scene where Paul Hunnam and uh, Angus Tully are in Boston and they accidentally run into one of Paul's old classmates. And he, uh, yeah. And like Paul just has to lie about, you know, how successful he is. Um, And that scene, that scene makes sense on its own. But I think that that scene works better because we know how Paul normally is or how we expect Paul to be in society. And then this is him, you know, no longer in a place of authority being like one of those kids, like, um, uh, let me figure out what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I think it works to like, I think it really works to set up sort of the, the, uh, kind of establish what the where those characters are in life just so that we can take them out of that and it like feels more real yeah i dude that scene was just really that's like literally my worst nightmare bumping into someone from like high school that is like a millionaire all of a sudden or something i don't think that's possible right now but um yeah that would like that was a tough scene to watch and uh uh you know very well Dude, Paul, he's just so, yeah, he he just, like you kind of said, he he captures that 
it's like all the anger comes from awkwardness, you know, like when, when he's even at the start, when he's kind of being a dick, but then you see him in the Dean's office, you know, you, you get that sense of there's a kid in there that like never truly like grew up, you know, he, he's just perfect in that role. I don't even know how to say it. Like he, he just hits it on so many levels. I think like one of the things that this movie captures that I haven't really seen any other movie do in quite the same way is, um, the boarding school that I went to, my one of my dad's friends went to that boarding school as well. He went there like 40 years before I did, but he also went to that boarding school. And like he said at one point, after I'd been going there for a few years, he's like, do you notice that the kids in the boarding school are a little different? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, we're all stupid? And he's like, no, no, no. Do you notice that like you get the people in the boarding school kind of stick together because it was, it was a boarding school where there were some kids that were in the boarding part and some kids that would like, it was also a public school. So people would just like bus in, in the morning. Yeah. And like the kids from around town were, you know, they were, you could be friends with them. It's not like no one, it's not like that was disallowed or anything, but they were like sort of a different ecosystem where like everyone in the boarding school is very tight knit. And also by the time you leave, like when you are an alumnus of that boarding school, even if you never go back and you never talk to anyone from there again, if you did, like you guys have a lot in common right away before you even know each other's names. It's like, Mm. I, I, I am you in a way. And I think that this movie sort of like communicates that a bit with Paul, because like, even though Paul Hunnam is a teacher at the school he was in that, he was at the school once. He like used to go to that school. And so yeah. he can bond with, he can bond with these kids in a way that really no one else can, which, you know, isn't necessarily always an unambiguously good thing, but like no other teacher at that school who was just hired because they were a teacher and needed a job is going to be able to bond with those kids in quite the same way. Cause they don't really know what it's like. And like, you know, they can be there. They can be everyone's favorite teacher, but they're never going to quite be like, they're never going to be one of the, one of the people at the school, like one of the, one of the guys at the school, the way that Paul Hunnam can. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that kind of adds to the idea that he, he's kind of playing a father figure was that he's lit. He's literally been in that position before, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, that's, I think that's where the, that's where the character starts to work where he's, just, he's essentially realized he's a, he's still at the school, which it kind of implies through the movie that he never really grew up. He never got mm-hmm. to leave, you know? And um, that that's where the kind of the mentor uh, relationship starts and, and also more bonding because you realize that this, this very, this very well might've become Angus Tully if he followed a similar path, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and he never met, he never met him. So it was smart. And I think it's, it's, it's tough to get those characters right just because I feel like, you know, it's a relatively cliche, you know, it's like, I mean, it's literally the Grinch, like we said earlier. It's like, it's the bad guy that you realize isn't actually that bad, you know. Um, but it's just like, again, like, it, it's so well done. It's so well acted. Um, like this movie, like I, I think the screenplay plays really good, but it does not work if the acting is not sublime either, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they they cast I guess you know they casted it very well so I it works out, um, yeah because you really have to just fall in love with these characters and I think Alexander Payne does that pretty well. Um, dude, that scene 
the scene where he realizes the girl that we think is flirting with him the whole time is married. Oh, geez. <laughs> Scenes like that, like really like Paul Giamatti really sold those, man. Cause again, that's such a common scene. You've seen, I've seen that so many times in other movies, but it just hits so much harder there. Cause I genuinely like, wasn't expecting it either. I mean, I think you mentioned a, a very non-subtle moment earlier and like not all the acting in this movie is extremely subtle, but I think that it has a lot of really good, really subtle acting like that. Like that's just Paul Giamatti turning his head in one direction and then turning it back. And it comes across like so heartbreaking. It doesn't yeah. even do very much. And then there's that yeah. scene that you mentioned with divine uh, joy Randolph, just putting out her hand. Like there's so many small moments that the actors are just able to sell in this movie. Yeah. It's really impressive. They're just really, yeah. really impressive uh, performances. Yeah. It's very human. And I, I feel like a lot of a lot of the cliches that I would have been very annoyed with the movie that thankfully avoids. There was no, you know, end of second act. You're not my dad, or something. You know, like there was no there was no breaking down of that relationship, which I feel like in a movie like this feels very predictable. You know, but like it turned out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's able to sort of work around those cliches very well because there isn't like an end of act to. Uh, you know, falling out. Not really, because like they don't fall out and then have to get back together and figure themselves out for act three. But they do have like a couple of smaller, a couple of bigger fights. They're not like really, really big, but do feel like they could be that moment. And like, then they, they end up being adults about it. But like, there are, there's a lot of moments that like, feel like they are doing what the what the cliches that you're thinking of not just this one but in like a like a lot of the cliches you would expect in this kind of movie there's a lot of moments that do that accomplish the same goal as those cliches are trying to get at but do it very very well to the mo- to the point where sometimes you don't even realize that like they are kind of just doing the cliche but a good version yeah that one, they kind of tease it there when he runs away and they're in the movies. I, I lit like I was, I was literally, I started rolling my eyes and I was just like, oh my god, like it's gonna turn out he was manipulating him so that he could go to Boston and I don't know get laid or something. <laughs> it was like <laughs> this would all be fake, and then and then it turned out it wasn't. It was just it was a, it, it, they turned they teased it and then they turned it into a very sweet human moment where. He was just like, oh, I want to go see my dad. And he was like, okay. Like it wasn't, it was, yeah, it wasn't a huge thing. And I think that's also, you know, that, that feels very like, like a very realistic, I think some movies might've just been like, like I said earlier, like, uh, like you're not my real dad. Like there were so many cliches that could have gone down and uh, they thankfully didn't. And they kind of showed a way to resolve conflict in a very mature way, which is, you know, I mean, they, they kind of learned that. Whereas at the start, Obviously, him. Every every conversation they have ends in conflict. Whereas we we see them progress. Eventually, something that could have been a very big conflict turns out to just be a a small amount of awkwardness, and then they continue on. You know, mm-hmm. which you know, I I really I really appreciated that, and I think that's smart. I think it's smart writing as a fellow intellectual myself. I think <laughs> you know I respect that writing. So yeah, good good work, David Hemmingson. And congratulations on your Oscar nomination, David Hemmingson. 
Good job, David. I hope you. Uh, I hope your dad's okay. <laughs> your relationship with your dad's okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's not looking good from this movie, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, this is a this is a reminder to for everyone to go call, call your dad because this is definitely a call your dad movie. Yeah, for sure. Um. Anyway, the holdovers. Last uh, final final thoughts. What do you think? Um, really fun. It's probably one of the best Christmas movies I've ever seen too. I think it. I think it was what what's great about it is that it doesn't necessarily have to be watched on Christmas too, which I like. So you mm-hmm. could watch it now and you'll enjoy it. Um, yeah. And yeah, amazing performances, great script, very human. I think it felt very refreshing after all the all the blockbuster schlock I've watched last year. Um, to end it on a very human story and. Yeah, I, I hope it does well at the Oscars. I think I think it's I think it's at least got one or two awards down for sure. I think it's gonna win two. That's I, my prediction. I I think you might be right. I think that there's no way that it could miss supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to say no way, but I think it's I think it's got a I think it's got a what pretty good shot. Done? <laughs> and I actually think that like I think that the best actor goes to either Paul Giamatti or Killian Murphy and Paul Giamatti has a good shot at it. I think. Yeah, for sure. If, if if Oppenheimer wasn't as big as it was and if Killian didn't win the golden globe, I'd have a lot more faith. I'm a little nervous now. I'm not going to lie, but I, I still think he has a chance. But Paul Giamatti also won a golden globe for it. I think because they were, Oh, is he listed as different? uh, No, no, no. In the Golden Globes, they split it up by uh, musical and comedy and and drama. drama. So he also won a Golden Globe. They both won Golden Globes for it. One of the only times a comedy was actually a comedy in that category. I'd say this is mostly a comedy, yeah. I would say so. It's got a lot of heart, but it is definitely, like... Yeah, it's definitely a comedy. Anyway. That's one of our last six Oscar nominees out of the way. Yeah, we're gonna talk about another one next week. Which one? We know, but you probably don't. So you'll have to uh, tune in next week to hear which one it is. It's gonna be. I'm excited. I'm excited for the rest of these. Honestly, the ones that we have left to talk about, with one exception, I am just stoked on all of them. There's one that I'm like, "Eh," but I also do kind of want to watch it again. So we'll. I have faith in your judgment. I hope I'll enjoy them too. I hope so. I think you're. Uh, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by a lot of them. There's one or two where you're going to be like, "What is this?" And then you're going to watch it and go, "Oh shit, nice." <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. What's our last word, Pierre? Dad.